is another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, sidekick, retired broadcaster. Ron, we often ask the people who listen to Making Money to send us show suggestions or fire us questions, and we try to answer them. I want to read this one that came to us. One idea for consideration of a future show is consumer discretionary, and specifically the tobacco industry. The tobacco stocks all have nice dividends. They don't seem to move much, but they are expanding into the marijuana industry, vaping and other less harmful, allegedly less harmful methods of smoking. I'm not sure if this is a growth trend or a decline trend. So we're going to do Making Money show on this sector. Um, Where do we start? Do we start with marijuana or do we start with tobacco? Let's start with marijuana because, frankly, uh, there's been a lot more action and news feed on the near marijuana than there has been on uh, tobacco. And currently, marijuana stocks had a huge run-up because of their legalization in Canada, and then they literally collapsed. They they fell as a sector anywhere between 50 and, and, and 100%. And the only parallel in history is the end of the prohibition in the U.S. eight decades ago. And, of course, in 1932, people were were tired, um, economically hurt, and they began to speculate that America's ban on alcoholism would soon end. And of course, there was the speakeasies and Al Capone and that whole era where, where frankly, they were making it in illegal stills. They were hauling it in from south of the border and north of the border. Elliot Ness and the Untouchables. Exactly, Elliot Ness and the Untouchables. And companies that made industrial alcohol, which was, uh, they would, uh, switch over immediately when alcohol was legalized again, their share prices doubled and tripled and quadrupled during the following year. But two months before prohibition was repealed, these stocks peaked during the summer of 1933. Over the next 12 months, prices dropped by 50%. So history might not repeat itself, but uh, as Toynbee says, it certainly rhymes. And we had the same thing. The huge hype in Canada huge run-up, huge collapse. So um, sometimes it's very, very good to spend a little bit of time looking at some past trends before you jump on board something that's too high because often the past can tell you a lot about what's going on in the future. Okay, so let's dissect marijuana economics a little bit. Uh, I, I And we've talked about this. We've touched on it a couple of times. We did a show on mar- on cannabis about a year and a half ago, but we've also dabbled on it with questions and stuff. And the black market is is still probably the biggest stumbling block here, isn't it? Yeah, currently two-thirds of cannabis sales in Canada are on the black market. And, you know, when you look at weed that you can buy in the black market, the, the stuff that you're buying at your local cannabis store is between uh, 60 and 90% more expensive than the stuff you can buy from your buddy down the street. And you, you just have to analyze this from a cost point of view. You know, uh, the guy that's selling it out of the trunk of his car, he's not paying taxes. He doesn't have an expensive storefront location he's got to pay rent on. Yeah, he's got no rent. He's got his car. <laughs> he's got his car. He's probably not paying employees to do it because uh, you, you want to keep your operation as small as you possibly can. You start making it too big. And eventually you get caught. So you keep this stuff small, you keep it discreet. And, you know, from a cost point of view, there's just no way where you can compete with the black market. Now, obviously, there's the legality 
you know, if you get caught buying this stuff on the black market, um, you know, you're going to get your hands slapped. And of course, if you go into a marijuana store, you aren't. So there's there's that uh, barrier that keeps legal sales. But if you're one of those guys that likes to that uh, likes to imbibe a lot, and you uh, you've got a buddy down the street who's provided it for you for the last 25 years. You're probably just going to continue to go down there and buy because you can do it cheaper, and uh, um, the money stays in your own pocket. And when this legislation went through, Ron, there uh, there was also a proviso in there that you could grow your own, like a certain amount, right? You yeah. may not even have to go to the black market. You go out to your backyard or down your basement or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or have a grow light uh, in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about legal competition? I, boy, I, you know, I mean, where I live. It, it's almost to the point now, like liquor stores, there's almost one every other block, it seems. Yeah, and the competition has just gotten fierce. I mean, uh, if you go to a, a website, uh, marijuana.com, uh, I went and looked, and, you know, there's between twenty and 28,000 businesses in total just in the U.S. that were involved in the cannabis industry in one form or another. And it's not legal down there in, in a lot of states, yeah, right? States, yeah, and right? It's, it's still not even legal. And in Canada, in the United States, there's about 300 companies um, that are traded that uh, provide the stuff, either medical or they provide devices or they, 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 have, they have stores, they do retail or, or a combination of all of the above. So, you know, just like the Yukon Gold Rush in the 1890s, when everybody piled in because they thought they were going to make a fortune, and most eventually left disappointed and unfortunately broke. Well, as you pointed out, the guys that sold the picks and shovels were the ones that made the money back in those days, yeah. yeah. So what about supply exceeding demand? The, the numbers have consistently shown that there's way more pot being grown than there's demand for. And um, if you take a subsector of that market and you look at hemp, and hemp is used to make uh, CBD creams and lotions and things like that, uh, last year there was 115,000 acres uh, were harvested. And you need about a fifth of that to supply the entire U.S. market. So the problem in, in uh, even uh, last year when I was in Hawaii on vacation, uh, I had this guy come up to me and he wanted me to fund a hemp farm. And he told me all the money he was going to make and he had a pro forma written up. And I looked at it and said, you don't have a hope of making anywhere near the money that you say because the market is just so oversupplied right now that you're just not going to be able to sell your stuff. And and so a lot of people have have really embraced the hype and they haven't sat down and really looked at what the supply and de demand dynamics are. Now, that could probably change a little bit when you've got legalization of cannabis for recreational use in America. But right now, the black market in the U.S. supplies the entire cannabis need for the country. It comes across the border in Mexico. Uh, kids take backpacks and, and backpack in British Columbia over the mountains <laughs> with, with, uh, with bags of this stuff, you know. Uh, there's one guy that was caught recently. He's got a, He was backpacking the stuff into the United States. He was using llamas, and he had big bags of this stuff. You know, so he was taking. You know, you know, a llama can carry, I think, 50, 60 pounds or or 30 kilos. So he had four or five of these things. So he was bringing in about 
200 kilos worth of of, of the high-end stuff every time he hiked over the mountains. So, you know, the stuff is being supplied by the market already. So you have to ask yourself, well, what happens when it's legalized? And it looks like it'll be legalized in Biden's first term as president. But, but still, the market's already supplied now. What's going to happen when it, it gets legalized? And you, you add all these legal growers of the stuff to the ones that are doing it on the black market. I don't think it's going to look so good. Okay, now let's get into the, the nitty-gritty here. You're the guy that looks at uh, all the financial numbers. Are any of these companies making money? I think that if you look on a cash flow basis and you don't include uh, depreciation and a whole bunch of other things, there's a couple of mar- marginal players that are, are, are close to profitability. But, um, you know, if you take all their costs in and uh, you look at the fact that their valuations have climbed back to levels that I consider to be crazy, you know, I think it's very, very hard right now, Gord, to find to find any companies that represent uh, value, and so you know for investment options, I think people are far better off, you know, if they want exposure to this sector and they're willing to dollar cost average. I mean, buy some now and then buy some over time. You might be better off buying an exchange traded fund, and an example of that would be Horizons Marijuana Life Sciences. Uh, the symbol is HMMJ. It trades on Toronto. It uh, has an expense ratio of 0.86%, about $500 million in assets. I think that you know this would be an example of a way to play the sector and just be prepared to wait a while because the U.S. market has to open up. And uh, frankly, this because it's such a volatile sector, unless you're willing to trade it aggressively, dollar cost average, so every time you get a big dip, add a little more. You know, over time, you know, um, there's a possibility that this could really go somewhere. But keep it a small part of your portfolio and buy a basket of these things rather than one individual name. And so the, uh, the hey, hallelujah, let's celebrate section that made money at the front end of this movement, that's long gone, right? Most of these guys that I know were cowboys. And a cowboy at a rodeo he hangs on to the bucking bronc and goes up and down and 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 then ends up selling it at what he bought it for or less, but all worn out, you know, because uh, the volatility does wear you out. So, you know, um, it is a very, very tough sector to play. And, and unless you really know that market well or you've got some patience, there's, there's a lot easier ways to make money. Okay, now let's look at the other side of this one, tobacco. Now, we were chatting just before we started here. You threw a couple of numbers at me that frankly astonished me. Um, You know, I I don't know that many people who smoke anymore. I used to know a lot of smokers, but they've quit. That's obviously not the case in, in other places or outside of my social circle. Well, we're certainly seeing a declining customer base. The global consumption of tobacco products has been declining for years, and it fell about 4% between 2018 and 2020, but it still makes up 1.4 billion people. I mean, that's that's a lot of... That's a lot of guys lighting darts, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of guys lighting darts. And uh, the drop has been, in the past, has been largely attributable to women, and over the long term, 
Um, their usage of tobacco has declined by about a third. I think they're more concerned about their families and they tend to be around their families more so they don't want to smoke. The big exception till now has been the male consumer. Males, you know, they think of the Marlboro Man, well, I'm big and tough, nothing will ever hurt me. Uh, they make up 75% of the world's users of tobacco. And after two decades of steady increases, we finally started to see that turn. And in 2019, the number of males smoking uh, actually fell by 2 million. And it's expected that by 2025, uh, an additional uh, 4 million people have, will have quit smoking. So, you know, you've got a declining user base, you've got health issues, and you've got um, legal problems. And that means that the, uh, the industry has some big challenges ahead of it. But in the interim, some of these stocks, Ron, like I said, the numbers were just absolutely mind-boggling to me, how well they've performed. I would not have thought about it, but countries are making it tougher on tobacco, aren't they? Countries are making it tougher on tobacco. They're making them put labels on it. They're restricting the places that it can be sold. They're not allowing them to advertise on, on sporting events. I mean, Tobacco companies lost that ability in North America years ago, but now we're starting to see in other places they're doing the same thing. They're putting all these ugly labels on that, uh, that say smoking causes cancer. And I'm not a cheerleader of this because I've never smoked in my life. And Gord, I know you don't smoke. So we're, we're talking about this for the simple reason that it is an investment and uh, we're talking about the pros and cons in that particular investment. So. Yeah, I mean, companies are making, countries are making it far more difficult. And of course, they just keep piling on the taxes too. Yeah, well, it is a syntax. You know, that's the old thing. If uh, syntax is a pretty good way for governments to make money. If you want it, pay for it. That's really what it boils down to. Now, you talked also, we touched on this earlier in the episode, like the tobacco companies are starting to dabble in marijuana, right? Starting to dabble in marijuana. Uh, They're getting involved in vaping. Uh, They're getting e-cigarettes. And they're actually starting to produce products that heat but don't burn tobacco. You know, I mean, I think they're hyping that this is healthier. I think the jury is still out on that, (laughs) you know, if you talk to to scientists. But, you know, people are trying these other things. I mean, especially if you walk down uh, Jasper Avenue in winter when it's minus 20, you'll see someone standing on the corner and they've got one of these e-cigarettes and they blow the smoke. And frankly, it's a cloud. It looks like a smokestack. <laughs> it looks like a smokestack, you know? So the younger people, uh, especially if you go by Grant McEwen or you go by some of the community colleges, and it's at break, there's a lot of kids out there, and they're not smoking regular cigarettes. They're, the, the trendy stuff is the, the e-cigarettes for sure. Okay, now companies can still make money in a declining industry because, well, tobacco is addictive, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's one of its uh, main claims to fame, is that once you start smoking, the nicotine in, in the tobacco smoke is addictive, and you keep wanting to buy more and more. And so uh, many of the products, even with all the extra taxes and the costs and the reduced marketing, there's still a huge margin. Companies can use that cash flow that they have. They can buy back stock. They can increase dividends. They can pay down debt. They can make acquisitions. And, you know, a good example is Altria Group, which is the home of the Marlboro Man. And its 20-year return is 9,620%. 
Good. That's the one that just absolutely knocked me off my feet. So, I mean, there's money to be made in this stuff, whether you like it or not. Uh, many of these companies have done it, it, extraordinarily well. The last year or two has been bouncy for them, but they've certainly started to come back as of 2020-21. Okay, so let's talk about the nuts and bolts here. Where are some investment opportunities if one wants to play in this sector? Well, what we like to do on these shows when we're talking about the sector is we try to give you, the investor, uh, an idea who the big players are and whether you can buy ETFs in the space and um, some of the bigger names that you can look at. And unfortunately, in tobacco, uh, there is no specific exchange-traded fund option. So there's no way that on an ETF basis you can buy. But there are three big players in the sector, and the first of them is Altria Group. And it used to be called Philip Morris, and it's certainly the home of the Marlboro Man. But what it did in 2003 is it spun off its international division. So Altria Group in in uh, in the United States has spun itself off mostly for litigation purposes. And the same brands are sold by Philip Morris International. And Altria Group, I mean, to give you an idea, currently has a yield of 7.2%. And it, so, you know, people that are hungry for yield, and that's in U.S. dollars, uh, so it gives you exposure uh, to the U.S. tobacco market, and it gives you a good yield plus growth. Now, aren't there some, there are some uh, investment houses or investment strategies that will not touch tobacco, right? Like they yes. just, they stay away. It's taboo. Yeah. Yes. But there's many places where, frankly, tobacco isn't viewed um, that negatively. I would think Asia. You know, Asia, certainly. I mean, you go into a restaurant in Asia, everybody smokes. I mean, frankly, you go into a lot of restaurants in Europe, and everybody still smokes right in the restaurant. They smoke on the street, they smoke everywhere. So um, there's many areas of the world where, frankly, there's not as big a taboo on tobacco. And of course, in those places, a lot of their institutions have no problem investing in tobacco. And you know, I mean, there's companies, for example, like Philip Morris, which was spun off by Altria. And uh, pretty good yield there, 4.8%. You know, 4. Point, yeah, 4.8%. They've, uh, they've got a payout ratio of about 80%. They're only 16 times earnings, uh, 17 times earnings right now. And that means that uh, they're, they're trading about a third less than the market as a whole. And this gives you exposure to global markets outside of the U.S. And then finally is British American Tobacco. This is a British company. And uh, their brands, yeah, you'll, see, you'll see them even in Canada. Du Maurier, Paul Mall, Rothmans, Lucky Strike. And uh, these guys were, frankly, they've got the patent on the smokeless tobacco. Uh, these guys have a P.E. ratio of 10. They have a yield of eight, and they're only paying out 47% of their income in dividends, so they've got room to grow. And here again, uh, this is a big company that will give you international exposure. So if you want exposure to the tobacco industry, here's three ways to play. Well, I would, to uh, borrow a pun, excuse me while we light up a lucky. We're done for this one. 
(laughs) (laughs) And we will uh, be back next week with another edition of Making Money. Remember, if you'd like to uh, send us a suggestion for a show, as this one was, uh, we'd appreciate it. Letsmakemoney.ca is our website. You can send an email there, and Ron and I will address it if we can. And also through the uh, cfcw.com portal, where the show is hosted on their website. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you again next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.